Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemperoper in Dresden, Germany. Since I spent the weekend rehearsing for an upcoming leader recital with Mirko Roszkowski, of course I took the opportunity to pick his brain about German diction for our episode this week. We chose the texts Ganymede and Der Atlas, both of which are set by Schubert, and we focus on when the combination NG is actually a phonetic NG and not the N with a tail on the right, the prefixes AN and UN, and review a few basics like open and closed E's, glottals, and the genitive S. Since I've been talking about how to study foreign languages over the past few episodes, I thought I'd finish that up this week with just a few final thoughts on the subject. The first tip for today is break up your studying. I've already mentioned what a geek I was with Russian diction in grad school, studying 15 or 20 minutes at a time four or five times a day. It might seem time-consuming and complicated, and maybe you'd rather get it all done at once, but I'm here to tell you that I remember all those Russian diction rules over 15 years later, so it does work. It's easier to absorb smaller chunks, especially when you repeat it often over the course of a day, rather than just once. There have also been studies recently saying to switch up where you study, that changing the background helps you to learn faster because it puts you in a different situation that builds a new neural pathway. Last episode, I mentioned flashcards. When I first got to Germany, I created a flashcard PowerPoint program that I was quite proud of, and I would have it running while I was on my treadmill, and that helped me a lot. As I said before, it kind of helps me to be moving when I'm studying. For some reason, when I listen to podcasts out running, or hop on a treadmill or a cross trainer and study, I learn faster. Maybe because my blood is flowing better, or maybe just because I'm more relaxed when I'm moving. One former colleague of mine studied German by using flashcards on his computer, too. But he carried his laptop to rehearsals, and he'd have it open all the time and ignore everyone in the rehearsal. I still only use my flashcards when there's no one else around to talk to, or when I'm hidden behind my piano in rehearsal and is supposed to be quiet. Even then, I don't use my computer for that. Even as handy as an iPad is, it's still more distracting than just a two-inch little card that I can pick up and put down, or even just let sit on the side of the instrument and glance out without even touching. Plus, using a computer gave his colleagues the impression that he was distracted and actually enjoying the computer for entertainment, which isn't the impression we ever want to give in a professional situation. Otherwise, if you are in Europe or have friends who speak other languages fluently, or if your university has sort of special lunchtime roundtables for language practice like we used to at Carnegie Mellon, take advantage of them. Even if you can only say a few things, say them as often as you can, and eventually you'll be able to switch in more vocabulary. Don't assume that studying alone will build those pathways. The best way to learn in the end is to actually use the vocabulary you've learned to communicate with people. And the last bit of advice, and the most important, is to not get discouraged. We all have days when we feel like we can't speak any language well. <laughs> when I first moved to Germany, if I spoke German for more than a few hours one day, I had problems forming any sentence at all the next day, and I really felt like in English my only fluency was in swear words. Even now, I have days when certain words just won't come, because suddenly I've integrated some new vocabulary and my brain short-circuits there for a few minutes. 
It's completely normal. It will come back, and then it'll be better than ever because of all that practice, and it does get less tiring over time. So keep plugging away. I'll post links to the text for today at the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. And you can follow the Diction Police on Facebook or Twitter at Diction Police. Our first text for today is the Goethe poem Ganymede, which of course brings us back to mythology. Ganymede apparently was the most beautiful mortal on earth, so Zeus had him carried off to become the cupbearer to the gods. Of course, the possible interpretations of this myth are pretty much limitless, as shown by the number of websites devoted to this topic, so I'll include a few links at the blog page. And Mirko was fighting off a cold while I was visiting, so you might notice a few sniffles during the interview. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, Ganymed Wie im Morgenglanze du rings mich anglüst, Frühling, Geliebter, mit tausendfacher Liebeswonne sich an mein Herze drängt deiner ewigen Wärme heilig Gefühl, unendliche Schöne. Dass ich dich fassen möcht in diesen Arm. Ach, an deinem Busen lieg ich und schmachte, und deine Blumen, dein Gras drängen sich an mein Herz. Du kühlst den brennenden Durst meines Busens, lieblicher Morgenwind. Ruft rein die Nachtigall, liebend nach mir aus dem Nebeltal. Ich komm, ich komme, ach, wohin, wohin? Hinauf strebt's, hinauf, es schweben die Wolken abwärts, die Wolken neigen sich der sehnenden Liebe, mir, mir, in eurem Schoße aufwärts, umfangend, umfangen, aufwärts an deinen Busen, allliebender Vater. That was Mirko Roszkowski reading Ganymede, and I thought we'd concentrate on the combination of N and G in this song. There's two ways that, that this can happen, sort of our normal mm sound we get all over this piece, and I would say let's start right in the second line. Du rings. For me this is a very important topic because also a lot of Germans, they are not that precise in that point, because it's really the NG sound, the ng rings. And there's no K sound. And in a lot of cases you will hear Germans saying rings. Or what is even worse for me, <laughs> at the end of a word. Um, well, we get one in the third line. In the third line it's Frühling. And to say Frühling, it is possible that you will hear that in the streets in Germany. But you can go there and tell them no. <laughs> it's <laughs> Frühling and Jung. And so it's what is even more difficult to, to pronounce is rings. With that unvoiced rings. S at the end of it. Definitely. So Definitely. we have the end, phonetically we have the end with the tail and then just a regular old S and right. no K sound between it. Right. Or it's... And also not rings, as we would say in English. Yeah, yeah. Because you have one ring but two rings. Can only be one ring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And again, we get this sound all over. We have in the in sort of what looks like the third stanza. Yeah, it's drängen. We we have it in so many cases. This combination, drängen. And there so. again, we don't get the g sound at all. It's just the n the the ng sound, and it goes straight onto the schwa. Exactly. It's not drängen. No, it's drängen. Exactly, and yeah. it's not in this song, but it's like 
in English the difference between saying hunger and finger, which are the same words in German, but you would right. say finger, hunger. And and actually in the last verse we also get umfangend, umfangen. So we get the two back to back. <laughs> umfangend, umfangen. Exactly. So, yeah. But we also in this piece come across several examples when an N before a G does not make an N with a tail on it. Much more examples than I would have suggested there are, but <laughs> there are a lot. So we just start with wie im Morgenglanze, because it's two words that are combined. It's mm -hmm. der Morgen und der Glanz. So Morgenglanze. Exactly. You have to pronounce both. both. Morgenglanze. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's almost easier to, to see because you do kind of see the compound word of that. Yeah. But in the second line, we also get... Anglüst. Exactly. And there it's because it's a prefix, right? So that A-N yeah, will always be separate from the rest of the word. Yes, yes. Always, well, difficult to say. Well, because hopefully. We have an angel. But there's not a prefix. An it's not a prefix, but it's angle. very... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's really, really, really hard, I know. But, um, <laughs> well, we have several examples here. It's um, du rings mich angelöst. So, hm and hngl. Well, <laughs> it's really hard. Exactly. And then frühling geliebter, even followed by another G, which is, well... Exactly. It's, no one said it's easy to sing in German. So, Frühling <laughs> Geliebter. Exactly. Well, and then we also, in other languages, we can connect the, the word before it and it'll change the N. But we don't have that situation in German. So we have, we have in this sort of the third stand, after Und Deine Blumen, then we have... Dein Gras. So the N again will stay separate from the G sound. Yeah. It's not like... Some of the other languages where it would go dying. And dein Gras, no. Dein Gras. Yeah. Und, de, und deine Blumen, oder und deine Blumen, dein Gras. Drängen, another NG, uh -huh. sich an mein Herz. Exactly. Yeah. The next thing I wanted to talk about is at the end of the first stanza, which is this prefix UN. Well, I'd say unendlich. So there is. My feeling is that it's a glottis, yeah. unendlich, unendliche Schöne. In singing, of course, it's uh, better to avoid too much glottis action. Yeah. So, um, but you have to uh, to separate the sounds. I I really love text, and I come from the text, and I want to pronounce as much as possible. So perhaps sometimes it's too much, really, mm -hmm. and it's much easier to keep in the legato when you drop something like that and but unen unendliche schöne is for my ears it's not right okay unendlich no no it's unendlich yeah so it's really necessary to to separate the e sound yeah one of our other favorite topics is the genitive s that unvoiced yeah. s that happens in the middle of words or at the ends of words i love english singers um because they often try to, uh, to to voice the S sounds as often as possible. But, well, the Germans, they don't do it that often. For example, in, in the word Liebeswonne, yeah. which is even not, not that easy to pronounce, mit tausendfacher Liebeswonne. Oh, and there, because there we have the connection of mit tausend, mit tausend. Yeah, there are two, two schools. They, one say it has to be mit tausendfacher, 
I'd say mit tausendfacher Liebeswonne, but definitely it has to be Liebeswonne and not a voiced Liebeswonne. No, we don't have that. And in that moment, we'd know you're not German. And Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in the thirst, in the third verse, I saw I said thirst because I was looking at the word Durst. <laughs> yeah. The third verse, right after Durst, minus. Minus Busens. And I think that's a tough one because it's right after an N and we really want to say Busens. Yeah, but it is Durst minus Busens. In Busens, the first S is voiced. And the second one is not. Is not. Exactly. And actually, we already had another example, but this is not genitive. This is just because it's Auslaut Verhärtung Durings. Yeah, du rings, du rings mich anglüst. Exactly. Now, one of the things you and I came up with when we were just talking about diction in general <laughs> was when a word ends in an unvoiced consonant and then the next word starts with the comparative voiced consonant that matches it. And we have an example of this at the very end of the song in the second to last line. Yeah, it's the word um, aufwärts. Aufwärts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is really hard to pronounce an F and a W. Uh, well, it's an uh, F and phonetically an F and a V. And a V, right? Mm -hmm. So you usually say aufwärts. So more or less drop uh, the V sound. So we drop the voiced consonant. We yeah. tend to say only the unvoiced part. Yeah. Yeah, aufwärts. And one of the reasons we started talking about this was because in Zauberflöte we come across this in one of the quintets where at the end they all have to say auf, wie, auf Wiedersehen, auf Wiedersehen. Yeah, auf Wiedersehen, auf Wiedersehen. It's more or less, it's, it's an F sound. Yeah. Unvoiced, auf Wiedersehen. And it's uh, before, for all the Papagenos uh, <laughs> out in the land, in the uh -huh. world, <laughs> Another um, example, nichts edlers sei um, als Mann und Weib. Yep, that's not even just Papageno, this is Pamina and too. Pamina, so, nichts right. edlers sei. So it's um, not nichts edler sei, but it's nichts edlers sei. So, so it's unvoiced in that case. Exactly, so we really need the unvoiced yeah. one, and if we have to give one up, we give up the voiced consonant that follows it. Yeah. Definitely. And since we're talking about devoicing consonants, we have we quite a few devoiced consonants in this. And one of my favorite examples is after hinauf. Hinauf strebts. Hinauf. So the B becomes unvoiced. Yeah. Strebts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of sound in one small word. Exactly. <laughs> As I like to say, it's the six consonants and one little vowel. It <laughs> yeah. takes time to get all the consonants out. <laughs> right. But we also get... Um, and don't forget to make us uh, hear the T in strebts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> not strebts, not strebts with... Well, I... Which is a dental... Sometimes I, I hear that on recordings. <laughs> but... <laughs> Well, it's not, uh, it's not right, it's strebts. Exactly, so a real T sound and not that sort of dentalized D that right. that we would actually right. speak in colloquial German. Yeah, probably, yes. Yeah. Strebts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Definitely. But we get basically the exact same sort of B, T thing in the first verse too at the end of the third line. Geliebter. Geliebter, it's... Yeah, it uh, sounds like, like a P, uh, so it's uh, un unvoiced. Geliebter. Exactly. And you already did mention mit tausendfacher. Yeah. So that D in the middle tausend, of the word. Because the, the word ends there. So a thousand. 
ja. tausendfacher Liebeswonne. And? Lieblicher Morgenwind. Yeah. So it's like a tea in the end. With a big puff of air at the end too. Morgenwind. Yeah, Wind. Like in Stritz. <laughs> right. And the one, the one to be super, super, duper, looper careful about in the last verse is the one where we have umfangend, umfangen, so that we get the difference between the two words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Umfangend, umfangen. But okay, so we had the aufwärts that we would get rid of that sound, but we also have at the end of the third verse ruft drein. What happens in a case like that? It's, uh, once again, that unvoiced and voiced uh, sound meet each other. Uh -huh. <laughs> they, they are followed uh, by each other. So in, in this case, it's ruft rein. There's a small break before, mm -hmm. before the sound. Ruft rein. So we stop that sound on the T. Ruft rein. And yeah. then we actually do say the D. I have the feeling to hear the T, but it's only the feeling because because of this small break before yeah. the sound. Ruf drein. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ruf drein. In the same way that you would do und deine Blumen. Absolutely. Und deine Blumen. Yeah. So we do yeah. actually stop this sound, and I think that's an important point to make because I know I've had I've had trouble with people working on words sounds like abbrechen. That we want to, we we want to, we want to make everything voiced or everything unvoiced, yeah, but we like, do get the difference. Uh, and again, mit mit tausendfacher, mit tausend, mit tausendfacher. So there's this very small break, and this uh, has a lot of uh, functions yeah. in that case. Yeah. Yeah. When I said that Mirko and I came up with a topic just from talking about diction, I really wasn't kidding. Total geeks that we are, just sitting around chatting, we come up with questions and sometimes even double-check the rules in Duden before finishing out our conversations. Mirko and I talked a little bit more about that prefix an, so I thought I'd include that portion of the interview here. I just wanted to talk a little more about, about this prefix an, an in Deutsch. An. Especially because when that an is followed by a g, as when it's the prefix and it's followed by the g, as we said, there are words like angel and angler, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where it is still an N with a tail on the side, on the right. Um, but oftentimes we'll find it as this prefix. And when it's the prefix, then it's still separated from the rest of the word, right? It's a stressed syllable. And the G, it won't, it again won't be that N with the tail on the side. It'll be a phonetic N followed by a G. It's like in the, in the famous um, song, angelehnt an die Efeuwand. <laughs> angelehnt, angelehnt. Yeah. So there's, uh, it's separated because it's a prefix. Mm -hmm. And uh, yes, we have both, both sounds. It's angelehnt. You will find that in, in German very often in uh, past participles, the situation where, where the an is followed by a g. Yeah, because we always have to say gesehen, angesehen, angeschaut, angedacht. Angelehnt. As you just yeah. said. Yeah. So this is very, very um, typical uh, combination. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, the uh, angler and the angel is really... Um, exceptions it's, it's to the really word. exceptions. <laughs> not, not often, not often. So we did find one example where it comes before a K sound. Yeah, it's Ankunft. Yeah. So there again, Ankunft. it's not ang, like we would find in the word bank. It's not that ng. It's Ankunft. Yeah. To make yeah. the to make the difference between the two. It's like Ankommen. 
Ankommen. Yep. Ankunft. And you'll see Ankommen, but you'll also see Angekommen. Yeah. So it can happen with the K or the G, but it's still a phonetic N and not the N with the tail. Exactly. Yeah. As we said, this AN prefix before a G comes up ridiculously often, primarily because of the past participles, but also in everyday words like angesicht and angeblich. Just like other separable prefixes like ein and zu, as well as others, when AN is a prefix, it's the stressed syllable, and when followed by a vowel in speech, will have a slight glottal before the next syllable, anerkennung. Einatmen, Zueignung. But it's important to remember that it isn't always a prefix. Just as we can find ZU as a normal unstressed syllable at the beginning of a word like zurück, we also have many words that begin with AN where it isn't a prefix. So if you're unsure, look it up. These imploding and exploding consonant pairs is an important point in German because it does come up so often. Just as we saw in episode 8 with the phrase und duftet doch in auch kleine Dinge, there are often entire phrases where one word ends in a T and the next begins with its voiced counterpart, the letter D. It is possible to separate them all for the sake of clarity, but it's generally completely acceptable to implode the first letter and explode the second, as we heard in ruftrein. The important thing, as Mirko said, is to really stop the sound completely. Not let the voicing of the D start so early that we feel like we're only hearing a D. Rufudrein. It's a quick way to sound like a foreigner. We haven't really talked before on the podcast about the other voiced and unvoiced pairs that come together, as we have here with Aufwärts, and as we mentioned pops up a few times in Magic Flute, with Auf Wiedersehen and Nichts Edlers Sei. Although at the time I don't think we mentioned it, I did come across this issue actually in my very first interview for the podcast with guest Hans Zotin, who said exactly what Mirko said. When I pronounce his name, I can let go of the voiced Z at the beginning of his last name and only say the unvoiced S, so Hans Zotin. According to David Adams' Handbook of Diction for Singers, if the tempo goes by quickly, this kind of assimilation is perfectly allowable. But if there is time, try to get both sounds in there. Now this doesn't mean to release between the two consonants, Alpha Wiedersehen, but rather think of it as voicing from the middle of the double consonant, Auf Wiedersehen. In this piece with Aufwärts, we don't have a whole lot of time. So the unvoiced F, Aufwärts, is appropriate in this situation, even though Duden does phoneticize it with both an F and a V. Our second text for today is Der Atlas, a poem by Heinrich Heine, and again, a mythological character. Atlas was a second-generation titan whose punishment for taking part in the war against the Olympian gods was to support the heavens on his shoulders, not the earth the way we think nowadays in order to keep the sky from crashing down and destroying the earth. His brother Prometheus, incidentally, was charged with stealing fire from the gods and giving it to mankind. Heinrich Heine, der Atlas Ich unglückselger Atlas, eine Welt, die ganze Welt der Schmerzen muss ich tragen. 
ich trage Unerträgliches und brechen will mir das Herz im Leibe. Du stolzes Herz, du hast es ja gewollt, du wolltest glücklich sein, unendlich glücklich oder unendlich elend. Stolzes Herz, und jetzt so bist du elend. That was Mirko Roszkowski reading Der Atlas. And I know I have a problem saying the title of that because I want to say Atlas. But it's Atlas and it's both an A sound. Atlas and not only the A sound is different, but also the L. Because it's not Atlas, but it's Atlas. The, the L sound is much more in the front. Yeah, as, as is always basically in German. It is, yes. Yeah. For, for Russian singers it's very hard sometimes, but um, also for you, I'm sorry, it's Atlas. 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 Tip of the tongue. And since we talked about the prefix UN in the last song, I thought we would continue that because here we have several examples of UN. It starts even with it with one. Ich unglückseliger Atlas. Unglück. So it's a real sp it's a real N followed by a G and not the N. Absolutely. Unglück. So so and then we have the examples where we have the option of having the glottis. <laughs> yeah, a difficult difficult question for for all singers, which is we have to decide which one is more important to interrupt the legato for this part of a second to use the glottis to say unerträgliches which means unbearable mm -hmm. yeah it means unbearable so it's unerträgliches everyone will understand every part of the word if you say unerträgliches it's um, easier to sing but harder to understand so, yeah, it's not quite so clear it's not as it's, crisp right yeah. exactly and again the we same get... the same with uh, with unendlich yeah for me Being a German, it has to be unendlich. Unendlichkeit, unendlich. Yeah. Unerträglich. And unendlich is the same same word we had in the other song. And this comes up quite often, unendlich. Yeah. You'll see this word yeah. all over the place. Yeah. It's never ending, right? Exactly. <laughs> never ending story. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the word unglückseliger. And we have there the stress syllables, the zil. And it's also a long closed E, right? Yeah, it's unglückseliger. Because it's a poem, usually uh, the, the whole word is unglückseliger, but, um, well, it's shortened for... Poetic license. Poetic license, right? Mm -hmm. Unglückseliger. And just to compare that closed E, again, with the open E, which I like to do, just because I think it's, it's an important difference that we don't hear as much in English, just we have a couple of words with an open E. Yeah, in, in contrast to unglückselger, it's un, unerträglich. Those are und, both crazy open. Unerträglich. Yeah, unerträglich und unendlich. Mm -hmm. Just like Welt, mm -hmm. eine Welt, die ganze Welt der Schmerzen. And there we get the two back to back, because der is closed. It is, and of course, because it's an article, and we in, in German we have a lot of articles. <laughs> so it's der. The, the, the E is uh, closed in that case. Exactly, and to compare der. that with Schmerzen? Der Schmerzen. And again, we have das Herz and Brechen and Jetzo. It's all the, uh, the opened uh, E sound. Exactly, and okay, since we just said Herz and Jetzo. Those have Z's in them. 
And a Z sound, the the Z in in German, mm -hmm. is a T S phonetically, right? Right, right. And it's just interesting in the word jetzo. Um, there are two T sounds, phonetical T sounds, um, back to back, back to back. So it's jetzo. There's once again this small break before the Z. Yeah. It's jetzo. So almost the way we would do it in Italian when we want to double the T of something. Fuck. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly the same. And of course, there's a Z in the word stolzes. <laughs> Bist du stolz auf mich? <laughs> I am. <laughs> stolzes und Herz again, of course. Yeah. yeah exactly. And also, something I should say with the word getzu is that the final O is closed. It's short, but it's closed and yeah. unstressed. Yeah. But it's really an old expression. And to be, to be honest, I am the only person I know that uses the word in, in conversation. <laughs> in conversation. Uh, I sometimes even say it's so because, Echt? yeah, it's so. It's um, a very old thing, but of course, in, in old texts and literature, you will find that perhaps, but it's um, usually it's jetzt, uh, which means now. Well, then we have TST, so jetzt. Yeah, or it's jetzt. Spelled, spelled, actually, spelled T Z T, but we pronounce T S T phonetically. Jetzt. Yeah, but uh, well, in this case, it's uh, yet so, mm -hmm. and the uh, the O is closed. Yeah, yeah, that's our closed O, and actually an, an unstressed closed O. But I also wanted to hear some of these open O's because I know when I got here, these open O's are a little more open than I expected them to be. Like uh, in the word gewollt. Yeah. Und wolltest du stolzes. Yeah, it's it's just a tiny bit more oh. open than I thought. I kept thinking it would be aw, but it's actually more aw. Really, yeah. it's really Gewollt. super open. Oh, gewollt, wolltest. In contrast to oder und jetzt so. Genau. We have a wonderful closed E in the word elend. And long. Um, yes, it's elend. Und jetzt so bist du elend. Ooh, with a good T at the end of it yes. too. Yes. <laughs> The prefix UN happens all over the German language, exactly the same way as the UN in English does. But in English, we don't use a glottal after it. And it means exactly the same thing in both languages too, not. After just a short look through Duden's, I found unangenehm, unpleasant, which of course also has the AN that doesn't connect to the G. Unentdeckt, undiscovered. Uninteressiert uninterested, unordentlich, untidy, and ununterbrochen, uninterrupted. With the exception of the word for Hungary, Ungarn, in general, an initial UN before a G will remain a phonetic N, ungefähr, approximately, ungeduld, impatience, ungeheuer, monster, it also won't make any of the other assimilations that an N in Italian or Spanish would. So, unmittelbar, immediate or imminent. Unproblematisch, unproblematic. Unvergesslich, unforgettable. And unvergleichbar, incomparable, all stay a phonetic N. Before we finished up, I just had one more topic that I wanted to cover with Mirko. 
I had one other question for you because I just had a discussion with someone who suggested that when people are having problems in German at the ends of words being understood, that they should actually specifically voice the consonants at the ends of words for more clarity. Tell me how you as a German react to that. Oh my god. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is uh, really... Uh, this is really hard because the it has to be hard. <laughs> it, um, we don't. I don't. Uh, I think we don't even have voiced consonants in the end of of a word, right? I, as far mm. as I know, everything devoices. Everything devoices, and um, I met some some foreign um, singers who thought it was uh, more precise to sing, for example, in Fernem Land. Land, yeah. but n because it's a D in the end of Land, mm -hmm. but it's a clear T sound, a clear D-voiced sound, Land and Hunt, and for uh, English uh, natives the S is very important, that mm -hmm. it's always, always unvoiced in the end. Yeah, well like we had before with uh, Rings and uh, Busens. Right, this is uh, the, yeah. the uh, genitive S. Exactly. Yeah. So there's, it's not, I mean, to me, for me, it wasn't even a sake of clarity. It was a sake of speaking the language correctly. Because if you do voice the consonant, then nobody will actually understand the word because it will just not be a German word. Right. I really needed to make this last point with Mirko for my own satisfaction. A few weeks ago, I had a long conversation with the author of a diction book in the States. And in a chapter on special tips for German opera diction, she suggested voicing the unvoiced consonants at the ends of words to make them more understandable. When I said that this is never done in Germany, her reply was, well, maybe that's just one of the things we do differently here in the States as opposed to what you do in Germany. But really, I thought the point of what we do is to sound as close as we can to native speakers when singing in their language, right? not to follow the incorrect pronunciation habits of people who aren't native speakers. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> According to a few friends of mine, there was a very short time in the 1950s and 60s when some German singers did voice some final consonants, but that practice has long since fallen away, and nowadays you'll never hear any German voice any final consonant that should have what they call the Auslautverhärtung, which means hardening that final consonant. So, as I've said before in this podcast, if someone is saying something that's completely different from all the other sources that you've heard, try it out, but be a little skeptical. Make sure to double-check all of your resources and to ask other people what they think before accepting that as fact. That way you'll be able to make a more informed choice. And that's our show for today. To find out more about Mirko Roszkowski, or if you have any questions or comments for me, Ellen Rissinger, please visit the blog at www.thedictionpolice.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tweet about it, post on Facebook, and leave comments on iTunes about it so that other people can find it and benefit from it. Thanks for listening. See you next week.